Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Today's episode features an excerpt from a recent BlackBaud webinar all about remote audits. Listen in to hear Paul Preziotti, a partner at the CPA and consulting firm Johnson Lambert, talk about how to prepare for a remote audit. Then learn more about best practices for going through a remote audit by clicking on the webinar link in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. So now the question that hopefully this webinar will give you a little more insight on, is remote auditing right for my organization? And and there's a number of things to think about here that we're going to talk about on this slide. You know, as I mentioned before, the pandemic really has changed forever how we can think about this. And you know, let's go through some of the both benefits that this relationship might entail, and then also some possible downsides, right? Because we have to be fair about this, and we have to think about everything from both sides of the equation. So benefits here, uh, flexibility, that goes a little bit without saying from remote audit, and maybe I can give you a little more perspective of what I mean by flexibility. Let's say you're an organization that's in the office, right? probably one of the biggest uh, hassles you had previously with your auditors coming on site was getting them access to your organization, even if just key cards or parking, but then getting them engraved in the office, making sure they're doing okay, setting up times to go and see them. Obviously, with a remote audit, you know that's all out the door, but that's only one element of the flexibility. The other aspect of the flexibility I'd, I'd add, too, is you know when the work is done, when you're answering questions. And You know, the way I think about this is as the auditee, you have the ability to mold this relationship in however you want it. So if you want to answer questions maybe one or two times a day at set increments, you can do that versus when organizations were on site, perhaps maybe it was a little more of an unknown of when people would stop by your office and and talk to you. And then also flexibility, too, of timing and when the work is done and, and when you respond, you know, everything is out the door. One thing I, I want to comment on that, that I think is interesting and I think is great, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of comments on hybrid audits. I think that's terrific. And, and I think that could, that could be a good solution for a lot of you that want the best of both worlds. Improved efficiency. We are going to talk about this in detail a little later in the presentation, but I do want to touch on this right now from a high level. One of the more surprising things we saw as an organization at Johnson Lambert, and in full disclosure, uh, we had experience doing remote audits before the onset of the pandemic due to the natural migration of where our employees went, where our clients went, and, and just circumstances of life. So, you know, myself, I probably had three to four engagements that were fully remote before March 2020. So we weren't going into it cold. Uh, that said, when, when I think about efficiency from a remote audit, the onus comes on project management. And if you have a good relationship, both with the auditee side and, and auditor side, uh, that allows you to put a framework in place, working backwards from deadlines to say, here's where the audits need to be need to be done. Here are the milestones that need to happen. And here are the steps we can put into place via regular meetings, setting deadlines uh, to make sure we're more efficient with our time and effort. And You know, that also goes to how you interact in the auditee and auditor relationship, Uh, thinking about do we prefer emails, do we prefer calls, do we want video calls to discuss questions. And and it does take both parties working together to make that a successful relationship. 
Uh, but if you do that, I really do think you'll find improved efficiency and improved results. That said, I certainly acknowledge that might not work if one party's committed to it and, and one's not. And that's why it really is a, a two-way working relationship in order to make remote auditing work. But if you can get there, I really do believe you can see improved efficiency. And then increased understanding of scope due to the onus on project management. I found a lot of our clients ask more detailed questions about why are we doing a certain thing this way when we go about it from remote audit? And I think that's great because one of the things I'm so for as an auditor is transparency. And our oddities, again, there's some things we can't share with you, like our 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 materiality for the audit, certain things are confidential, but just being able to understand how we're picking our samples when that's being reviewed by at the partner level. And then going all the way back to the final step of, you know, when are the deliverables being reviewed from a quality control perspective? I think it's great that we're all talking about these things from an auditee auditor relationship and understanding when things are happening, why they're happening, and, and does that timing make sense? And again, we would have had some of these conversations in the pre-pandemic world of on-site auditing, but because we're remote now, the onus really is on setting that time frame and understanding to make it a two-way productive process. So possible downsides here, I've already mentioned one of these. It is true. Both parties need to be engaged to make this happen. Uh, if there's one party in the auditee auditor relationship that you know isn't putting forth the effort, no matter what side it is, it's not going to work. And I'll just tell you that up front. Uh, it really does take engagement for both parties to figure out how are we going to do this, what's our plan, and how are we going to work together to make this plan happen. Without that, it's not going to work. So I, I would say that too. And, and you know, what I have done too, uh, in addition to my role as an auditor, I, I also serve on a number of nonprofit boards. And shockingly, <laughs> one of those roles is as an audit committee chair. And I've also found myself asking different questions as we go through the RFP process to ask other firms, say, hey, how, what's your approach to remote auditing? How do you set deadlines and how do you stay engaged? And, you know, I would have asked that question in some form, I think, before the pandemic, but it's really changed my view on it. And then work that may need to be done on site. Certainly there's the potential for this one. When I think about this, I, I think about things such as an inventory account, uh, confidential information that organizations aren't comfortable sharing in electronic format. That said, even these, I, I challenge a little bit because you know, just to combat them a little bit with uh, confidential file sharing portals, pretty much anything can be uploaded online. That assumes you're fully electronic. And, and obviously you're you're listening to this webinar through BlackBot. So I, I have a good hope here. A lot of you are fully electronic in the systems you use, but if you're not, that would probably be lesson one B I've learned during the pandemic and our clients have learned during the pandemic that no matter what the initial cost, time or effort, uh, getting fully electronic, the benefits are tantamount. And then to the inventory account, I've I've heard of a lot of organizations doing this remotely now via, you know, sharing screens and things of that sort. Again, I fully realize that isn't going to be possible in every single scenario, but just, just throw that out there to, to share with you that, you know, some things you think have to be done on site, that might not be the case. All right, let's talk preparation and polling question for you. How early should you hold your kickoff meeting? So our responses are day one of the audit, one week prior, one month prior, or three months prior. Pause here and, and let everyone answer your questions. There's, there's one answer I hope you don't select, and I trust you won't select that. But go ahead and, and add your responses here, and then we'll, we'll see what we've got here. 
One, one question while, while everyone's submitting that I'm reading that's, that's interesting, that the use of staff from a time zone far away makes it tiring for those of us stuck in one time zone. That is a very interesting comment. And, you know, what I'd say to you, I'm assuming this is coming from an auditee, is that I think you have the power to change that. You know, I, I would reach out to whoever your relationship is with. And even at, at a minimum, if it's changing the communication preferences, I would say nothing set in stone. So I, I just challenge, totally understand what you're saying, but is that something that has to be permanent? Maybe you're going to tell me, oh, because of this relationship, it's that. But I would I would just throw that out there, that some things you think you can't change, you may be able to with a phone call or an email. Okay, we've got most folks responding here. Okay, I like these responses. So what I was afraid we would get is someday one of the audit, and, and we'll talk about this, you you don't want to do that because the earlier you plan ahead, and we're going to go into it in terms of sample size and things of that nature, the better of an experience you're going to have. You know, my answer to this is going to depend a little bit. I tend to skew. I, I'm either I'm, I'm one of the more highly populated responses. I'm either one month prior or three months prior, and it's going to depend on the size of the engagement and the people involved. Say you have a smaller audit engagement, not that many samples to pull everyone's very responsive. Well, maybe a month's okay if you guys can get on the phone and say, all right, here we go. I can get the samples, the sample populations to you in two weeks. We can pull those samples. We can get them uploaded. That could be perfectly fine. But that said, say you're a, a multinational organization, a, a national uh, nonprofit organization. You have 24 offices across four different continents, and there's a lot of coordination the three months might be needed there. So again, there's there's not one size fits all answer here, but I'd consider the various factors and uh, deciding what's right for your organization. So let's talk about what we should discuss during the kickoff meeting. And the first thing here should come as no surprise giving our last polling question is timing. And if you leave here with anything, I, I hope you leave here with this, that you know my philosophy is always to first Think about what our deadlines are, not just audit, but tax, assuming you're using the same provider. And even if you're not, if you have a different tax provider, still thinking about when that other tax provider needs the respective information and work backwards from that to get to the right answer. So, you know, let's say, gosh, we're sitting here February 2022. Let's say you have a board meeting in May 2022, the first week in May. Well, working backwards that's probably not really your deadline because you likely need to send out materials to the board a week in advance. And then working back even further as the auditee, you probably wanna give yourself some time to review those documents, to make sure everything ties out, to answer any questions, to validate information. So you give yourself a couple more days in that too. And you know, really what we thought was our May, first week in May, 2022 deadline, might actually be the third week in April. And that's a healthy exercise that, that we always do as auditors at, at Johnson Lambert. And you know, a lot of you most likely do this too, but I, I'd encourage you to think about that. So a couple of intervals here to think about, to agree upon. Uh, the first is the initial timing for the client assistance list. This, this really goes in line with, with the talking I was just doing on you know, one month versus three months for the initial kickoff meeting. I would just say, have that conversation. You know, again, not going to be a one-size-fits-all answer. For some organizations, if the client assistance list is very consistent, you might not need that much time. 
Uh, conversely, if it's a first-year audit, you're, you're probably going to want as much time as you need to go through and validate everything. Key samples. This is this is a good one, and I would say this is where we spend a lot of time as an organization working with our clients to agree on timelines on just to make sure the audit process runs smoothly. Again, if we have an audit that's beginning the first week in May, you know, generally speaking, as your auditors, we want to be able to come in and, and hit the ground running and, and test what we need to test. And so working backwards from that, there are a couple of things that have to come into play because, you know, first step of working backwards is we need to send you our samples. But in order to send you our samples, we need the sample register for you. So the question then becomes from the auditee's perspective, when do we think the sample registers will be ready? You know, and that, and that could encompass a variety of things from the various revenue streams you have, expenses you have. Uh, perhaps there's sampling that needs to be done from inventory or other assets. Again, the, each each answer is going to be unique to your organization, but uh, just know too, if, if you can agree on samples and if you can get those uploaded early on, that's going to make the remote audit experience more positive for everyone. The next bullet is one, what's the right way to say this? This gets a lot of people upset. <laughs> um, if there's one way to ruin a relationship between an auditee and an auditor, it's a drawn out review process where there are unexpected comments that you didn't get last year. That's never going to help. It's going to cause bad feelings and it's going to draw out the process. And I'm not going to promise you that that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, the nature of a quality control review process is you have an independent person looking at financial statements and they could be looking at it for the first time and, and they could raise very good questions. With that noted, it is totally valid to understand the timing of the quality control review process and any variability of that, and to hold each other mutually accountable. I am always fine with the oddities in our relationship asking us when will it occur and you know coming back. And if it doesn't occur at that time frame, of course I'd like to say it always does, but you know, we're not perfect like everybody, coming back and holding us accountable. I think that's a good thing. And and that's something from the oddity perspective, I would always ask in the relationship when you're starting and when you're holding your kickoff meeting to understand. They might not be able to tell you the auditor who the quality control reviewer is, but they should be able to tell you the time frame for when they expect to get that to them. And it could be a little variable, but at a minimum, you'll come empowered with more information than you had before. Is there any work that cannot be done remotely? Uh, we already touched upon this, but you know it's good to talk about it during your kickoff meeting because if we're in a hybrid audit environment, we want to make sure we're planning for any work that needs to be done on site now. Uh, status calls. I love status calls. I, I don't love holding calls for calls just to be there, but I think status calls, if they're used right, can go a long way. Uh, one of the least productive uses of time are emails going back and forth, asking questions, and nothing makes me cringe more when I see t 10 emails going back and forth with where an issue hasn't been resolved. You know, just, just food for thought. Maybe we can use these status calls to talk through the answers to those questions or, or open items. Uh, at Johnson Lambert, we've, we've found that to be very productive. So, you know, I, I encourage you to set those up. You know, I, I generally try to do two a week, something like that. And they don't have to be long. It could be as, as little as 15 minutes, 30 minutes. But, you know, if that saves you five or six emails a week, it's, it's probably worth it, right? And then also discussing what systems your auditors need access to. Uh, we'll talk about that on subsequent slides. A couple other things to talk about during the kickoff calls uh, have there been any changes with the auditee or auditor? Uh, both are important, right? Uh, changes from the auditee perspective, 
obviously as your auditors, we'll want to know because that could potentially impact our risk assessment of your organization if you have newer changing employees, changes in operations, changes in revenue streams, a new strategic plan. Any of that information is extremely useful to us. A side note too to improve this process, uh, sharing this information continuously throughout the year can go a long way and, and can help with this as well. I have a number of clients who like to send us a quote unquote, what's new with the organization every quarter or just hold quarterly meetings to catch up. I, I think either one's great. And then from the auditor side, you know, are, are there any new accounting standards, any new auditing standards that should be shared? Are there new team members? Are there changes in our audit approach that are mandated by our firm? Again, I am a fan of transparency, and I think that goes a long way to making the relationship work. Communication preferences, including working hours. This is a big one, um, especially for those of you who have mentioned we have auditors that are in different time zones that are firing off emails. I think nothing's off limit here. And I think from an auditee perspective, it's fair to set ground rules and set boundaries for when and how you want to communicate via email, phone call, video call, setting working hours, setting guidelines. I say have that open conversation and be transparent because if you don't ask, you don't, you can't change it. And, you know, I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that from both sides of the relationship, everyone is willing to compromise to make this a better process for all involved. Uh, scope of audit, you know, making sure we confirm, are, are we doing a generally accepted auditing standards audit? Uh, is there a single audit in play? Are there other international accounting standards that, that we have to deal with? Just making sure we're all in the same level playing field. And then upload preferences. I suspect most of you are using some sort of file sharing portal, uh, whether it's proprietary technology from your auditing firm or, or third-party software. Uh, at Johnson Lambert, we use third-party software called SureLink. Just understanding what that software is, is it going to be used or, or are we going to use something else like email? I would discourage you from using email for a variety of reasons. We, we could spend a long time talking about this. I'll, I'll just leave it at it's a security concern, especially when certain data is shared. And, you know, I, I would say when security incidents happen now, a lot of times they happen via people getting into email. So I would be very careful about sharing information via email, especially during an audit. Thank you.